we just, we started talking about last week gender dysphoria, transgender, whatever term you want to use, uh, in light of the Supreme Court decision, um, and from the Torah halachic perspective. Okay, um, so that was that was meaning not as far as the Supreme Court law. That is obvious that we should all support that. Um, and and again, we're not discussing how to treat them. Of course, they have to be treated sensitively and, and no discrimination, etc. They should be um, treated just as any other Jew coming into shul. Um, but the, the the question that I wanted to address, beginning last week, which we didn't get to, is two main questions. Um, question number one. Let me just open up my stuff here find it. So question number one is, let, is, is the surgery, good morning Manny, is surgery, is the actual surgery permitted according to halakha? Um, that would be question number one, surge, su surgery to for gender reassignment. And question number two is whether it's permitted or not when someone does have the surgery done to them. So how how is halacha going to view that person's gender identity at that point? Does it actually does the surgery have a halachic effect in changing the gender identity of the person? So again, this is not to discount. We're not discussing it whether it should be done medically speaking. So from you know psych psyche from a psychiatric viewpoint, that's all irrelevant to this discussion. We're strictly going to try to stick to the halachic issues involved of again in the surgery and the gender identity once the surgery is done. Like I mentioned, this is it's a very sensitive topic. It's a serious issue. It's something that cannot be put under the rug, which as many times we try as rabbis we try to do that for as long as possible because it's 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 a uh, just difficult issues, and we think, oh, it's not so relevant, but as everything else, eventually um, it can't be put under the rug, you, you ha it has to be addressed, and as it becomes more of, uh, uh, more prevalent in, in our society, um, so it's something that needs to be addressed in a serious way. And there's still, it's a, it's a work in progress from what I'm seeing. I did order, as I told you, there's a, there's a whole book that actually was published in 2003, Whole Safer, on just on these issues. It's called Dor Ha-Ta-Puchot. I did order it in two day, for two-day delivery. Fortunately, it's not here yet. I ordered it last week after the class. Um, so, so we might have, we might come on to new things after I get that book, see what's in there. But, um, so, what I just to sum what I mentioned last week, which I think is very important, um, just in the context of it, and in, in, um, not sure it has halachic ramifications. Which is very important to see that early and early, earlier writings, specifically Kabbalistic writings seem to um, very clearly understand uh, that there is a concept of gen gender dysphoria and, uh, and, and which is just fascinating to me to see that. Again, we're talking about books written in the 1600s or, um, and, and uh, they, they are discussing there the concept of most of them in the, con in the context of reincarnation. Um, Eddie, sorry to get you out of bed so early. Apologize. Good to see you, Edward. Uh, a little makeup would help this early in the morning. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, Manny, well, which question? So, so we'll get there, yeah, there's a lot of people pose the question. So we'll get there, one second, we'll get there, we're going to get there. We have a lot of people pose the question. No, no, I'm saying, but that's in the halachic perspective. As far as in Kabbalistic books, and that's what I mentioned last week, one is um, the few books that I found. One is a book called Magid Meisharim, which is a fascinating book in itself. It's supposedly written by Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who is the author of the Shulchan Aruch. He had a book that was published after post-mortem. Supposedly, it was a diary of his that wasn't supposed to be published. Um, but in that diary, one of the, and it's very controversial in itself, nothing to do with this topic, but in the diary, basically, um, he supposedly he met on a weekly or, or more often basis with, let me just mute everyone, because someone's giving feedback here. If you have to speak, you could unmute yourself. Um, can't find my mute, oh, here it is. Oh, I muted myself. One second. He lived uh, 1500s, I believe, but someone could Google it. It would be helpful while I'm working on the muting. I can't find. I can't find my mute button. Okay. Don't knit too loud. Anyway, um, so we're going to try without meeting here, but, but the bottom line is, so he, he has a, a book, fascinating book, it, again, it wasn't meant to be published, it seems, and it's very controversial, was it or not, but in this book, it's conversations that he had with what's called a Magid, he claimed he had a, um, a angelic visitor who would study with him weekly and, and give him lessons. Um, well, again, it wasn't. This wasn't meant to be published. And in there, one of the things the this maggot tells him, um, it's like a mystical diary. And the maggot, he um, in conversations that he wrote down, tells speaks to him about first of all that his wife is really has a male soul. Um, this is, um, and that's why they couldn't have children together. He tells, he explains to him why his wife, why he never bore children from his wife, is because she actually was a male soul in a female body, and he explains many things based on that, um, which is exactly what gender dysphoria seems to be, according to the to the people that have it and, and the way they describe themselves, and they feel that they're a member of the opposite gender, stuck in this anatomically wrong body. So that's one place where you do find this concept. Um, someone known as the Kafa Chaim, Chaim Sofer of Baghdad, he also writes that uh, that many cases of reincarnation are people of opposite genders. You come down in your, let's say you were male in a previous life, you come down in a female body in a later life, and he discusses that at length. Um, and he also discusses, he actually, even at, even every night, he says that uh, when a person, as we know, we say blessings in the morning, we believe when you sleep at night, it's the 60th of death, and you, part of your soul actually goes up um, every night. And he says a person can be judged, you're judged on a nightly basis when your soul goes up, and a person, they can send down the next day a, f a female soul into a male body or a male soul into a female body. Um, so, so these concepts do exist, again, from the 
from the Kabbalistic perspective. Not that that affects halacha necessarily, but just amazing to see that uh, Kabbalistic sources and Jewish sources from very early on acknowledging this concept, so to speak, of gender dysphoria. So just I found this fascinating. I just discovered this last week in preparing for this class. Um, again, that that doesn't that's not going to um, help us out here necessarily, but it's something that at least you see it is a recognized it's recognized within um, Judaism this, the concept, which is uh, I think very a very important aspect. So the so so before getting to the the question that we want to discuss, which is how does how would um, halacha Judaism address someone who had uh, gender reassignment surgery? and their gender identity, and all the ramifications of that, which there are many. So the, the first question I think that needs to be discussed is, is the surgery itself permitted, halachically speaking? Again. Um, so I think that needs to be discussed first, and I'll start with saying very clearly, all halachic decisors that I've seen unequivocally prohibit the surgery um, to be done. Now again, that, that doesn't mean if it's done, now what happens, we'll get to that, but everyone says from a halachic um, perspective it is prohibited to do the surgery. Um, for uh, probably, I found in different postkim at least eight different issues um, discussed. Um, and by the way, this, this uh, many of the sources for this are not from not really discussing gender reassignment. There's extensive, extensive literature within, um, within uh, Torah literature from uh, starting with the Mishnah already, which is which discusses someone in the two types of categories we've discussed in the past many years ago. What's called a tumtum and a drogonist. Um, those are, uh, I, agree, I believe, Greek terms where someone is born either with a um, vague set of genitalia. It means it's not clear. What what gender they are based on their outward sign, their outward um, genitalia, or uh, an androgynous is someone who has actually both female and male um, genitalia. And the Mishnah discusses again what is the halachic status of that person in the sense of um, you know which mitzvahs, who could they marry, which mitzvahs are they obligated, and all the various differences within halachic Judaism that. That, and the consequences of being male or female, which, as we mentioned last week, are very clearly delineated within Allah that there are two that God created two types of gender. Um, so, so there's many consequences of that, obviously. So the Mishnah and subsequent all uh, many halachic uh, uh, books and responsum in the future discuss that at great length. So, so and based on that. And the question is, can we apply that to gender reassignment surgery? Is that the same or not? But the first thing they all discuss is what happens when you have a child born with that. Can you, um, so to speak, um, help that child for his future life by assigning him to a certain gender? And the standard used to be in the medical field until a number of years ago where they would always, almost always go towards the female side. Not that, I don't know if it's a statement of which uh, gender is better, but it's more of, it was just, obviously it's easier to snip and cut um, than, to, uh, than to rebuild. So it was, it was just a lot easier to make um, vague, again, vague, uh, if someone had either vague um, genitalia or if someone had both sets of genitalia, to, just easier to make them female than male. 
um, which, which even the medical community itself, um, I believe, came to the realization, there are many articles written about this, that, that it's not a good thing, psychologically and medically, um, it, it could really um, not help for the future of the, if you're just applying agenda just because that's the easier way to go medically. It's not always a healthy thing um, from a psychiatric and, and medical viewpoint. So that's 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 now what we're going to discuss today. We we want to stick to specifically surgery done for gender reassignment. So so like I said, there's at least eight issues I've seen. Some of them are, are much more minor. Some of them are ser more serious issues when it comes to um, doing the surgery. So I'm going to start with um, one of the first issues here. And probably the most serious one is the concept that we've discussed in other contexts in the past um, where the Torah explicitly prohibits castration of, by the way, not only of humans, of any any being in the world. Um, the Torah prohibits ca um, what's called sirus. The Hebrew term for that is sirus. I believe the, the translation would be castration, but there are probably a better, maybe better medical terms. But any, it's not limited to castration. It's any type of damage or excising of the reproductive organs of any type of um, human or animal is prohibited, which is fascinating. I was reading somewhere that Judaism is actually the only religion that prohibits this, that prohibits um, castration. I don't know, every, all religions in the world, but but of the other, of the major religions of the world, Judaism is the only one that prohibits it explicitly, um, and which is fascinating, meaning actually in Christianity, becoming a eunuch at certain points in history was was actually a good thing. It was praised because you don't, you're taking away your lusts. As we know, uh, Catholicism believes that uh, Christianity believes, and I don't know, Catholicism, Christianity believes in general that sex is a bad thing. So any type of lust or, you know, we're all created imperfect because of our lusts and our uh, our human, this, the, our sexuality. So it's better to be completely, to not have any lust. Which of course Judaism does not believe that. That's part of being human and, and that's normal. Um, so again, so, so Judaism, this is just a side historical point that I read about, Judaism is the only religion that prohibits it. And, and another side point is if you have a dog or cat that has to be neutered, please consult your rabbi on how to do that in a proper halachic manner because it's not so simple. Again, there's biblical prohibitions involved. And surely don't try it at home yourself. Um, not a good thing. Okay, that's a joke. I'm trying to see who's still sleeping here this morning. Um, <laughs> okay, so, so, um, and by the way, there is a, uh, a veterinarian in the Meyerland, I believe it's the Meyerland clinic, who I work with, who is, uh, he's an interesting, he's an orthodox guy, he, one of the reasons he moved to Houston, he told me, is because he couldn't get a job in New York, no place would allow a, a veterinarian who says he's not going to do spaying or neutering. Um, so that's one of the reasons he moved there. Um, and he actually, I work with him. We've learned, first of all, we've learned many of these uh, issues together, studying with him because obviously he knows a lot more than I do about um, animal anatomy and how it works and what the, the various methods are. But he actually mm -hmm. has, I work with him on writing up a document that's used when um, an observant Jew comes in and wants to spay and the animal, how it's done the proper way etc. It's sort of like selling your chametz and they sell the animal to a non-Jew then brings mm -hmm. it in. It's a mm -hmm. whole process. So if you go to that clinic, you could ask for Dr. Rabinowitz, who actually has my documents and how to do it properly. Yes, Shelley? 
Is he good? He's done a good job? Um, it, again, that's really, it's not, it's not the purpose of this class, but for I remember offhand from our previous discussions in 2012 or 2011, maybe earlier, I don't remember exactly when, but, but uh, just making up those numbers, but I, I believe we discussed there, the, the, the obvious reason is God created us as humans to continue the species, continue the race. Anytime you're doing something which is intentionally gonna um, damage reproductive organs, whether you know, it's not only for humans, again, it's for all all species in the world, just like we want to save the whales, so to go mm -hmm. ahead and, and cause whales not to reproduce is problematic. Um, God created the world, we assume he knew what he was doing, and the system should work, and therefore to go ahead and, and somehow preclude any species from reproducing seems to be going against, uh, that, that would be the, on the surface, a simple explanation from what I recall. Um, okay. Um, so now, and again, clearly, like we're saying, Catholicism doesn't believe that, which is one of the questions they always had in Catholicism, meaning according to them, in the ideal world, no one would be reproducing. You know, ideally, everyone should become eunuchs and uh, and and uh, and 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 uh, celibate. So, how do, would they continue the species in Catholicism? They wouldn't be any more, uh, you know, Catholics in the world, Christians. It's an interesting question, which I never got an answer to. I posed this question to a few times, but anyway. But that, that's besides the point. We're digressing here. So let's stick to the topic before Ron comes in. I'm trying to get as much in. So far, I haven't, I haven't gotten him. Uh, either he's reading something else, or <laughs> I haven't gotten him. Make me. I appreciate it, Ron. Um, you didn't have your coffee today, I see. <laughs> okay, so, so again, so the first issue would be this. It's which is again, it's a uh, biblical prohibition based on a verse in Leviticus, in Vayikra, um, Pasha, uh, Perak 22, verse 24 which states you shall not do this in your land is talking about destroying in that context by the way it's only talking about male reproductive organs which is actually very important for a topic because the, according to most Polskim, according to most halakhic authorities specifically destroying male reproductive organs is biblically prohibited everyone agrees f uh, destroying female reproductive organs is also a problem but the, the machlokas is is that biblical or rabbinical in nature the Vilna Goen, um, most posts can say it's only rabbinical, the Vilna Goen says it's also biblical. Um, even female reproductive organs is also biblical. In either case, in a pr from a practical sense, we've both of them are prohibited, so it really makes mo not much of a difference, just one is rabbinical, one is biblical. So that's issue number one. Um, another a second issue, a similar type issue, which is brought up, the Torah, um, seemingly, and people uh, might have a problem with this, um, prohibits actually a male who has damaged uh, reproductive organs, that means humanly damaged, that means if he's born with, let's say he's impotent or something like that, or he's born with a damaged organ, he's permitted to marry a regular woman, but a someone who has a, what we call in the vernacular a babit accident, a Babbitt type accident, 
anyone remembers that? One, uh, Mrs. Bobbitt from many years ago. I think it was in the 80s. Um, right. So if someone, if a male has a Bobbitt type accident, um, so the, the Torah prohibits that person from marrying a love of Bacal. Um, for marrying a regular woman, there are only certain women that he, he may marry. So, and, and by the way, just because we understand that it's not so, obviously it's not a pleasant thing, we, we try very hard to allow them to marry, and we don't go and check it too much, but, but the point is, it's known as the prohibition of pitsua daka, okay, which means, again, someone who has um, damaged reproductive organs, um, male, um, female, it doesn't make a difference as far as meaning biblically speaking but a male has damaged reproductive organs um, who, and he can't procreate we don't allow him to marry on a regular basis and this, he's limited in his list of people we may marry um, so the question becomes yeah okay Ed, um, it's a good topic man I hope it's not relevant but it's a good topic Okay, enjoy. Make some money, man. Don't forget to tithe your money to a good Jewish organization. Okay, so uh, um, where were we? Oh, so so this Pesuadaka, this prohibition of Pesuadaka, is relevant here, maybe, um, only because um, some say that to cause someone to be a Pesuadaka, meaning if you're going to do something intentionally, which would um, cause that person not to be able to reproduce would also be prohibited, although it's not so simple. Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Horbach, I saw, writes that the prohibition is only, the Torah only says he can't get married. It doesn't say there's a prohibition to put him in that state. So so it's not so simple that this would be a problem. Most posts can disagree with him, but he seems to be on the side we're saying that this wouldn't be prohibited to put someone into that state. Again, of course, the first violation of Cirrus would still apply, of castration. Um, so anytime you're doing that surgery, obviously for a male, you're going to be castrating them in that sense. Yeah, Shelly, go ahead. No, again, if it's if it's natural, if I remember correctly, the the prohibition of tzuadaka is only if it doesn't happen in a natural way. If someone has a disease or they're born with that, that's not considered a psuadak. It's only if... Yes. At least there's a difference, meaning if it's, if it's like you're saying, an industrial accident or a, a wife accident, that, that's when they're prohibited. Yeah. Oh, so I'm not sure I understood what you said. Then. Meaning, meaning, I'm, I'm understanding when you have cancer of the penis, let's say, where you're now, where it actually, naturally, not now where there's surgery. If there's surgery involved, so then that's by human hands, meaning that the, the destruction of the reproductive organs is by human hands. So then it's a problem. Yeah. Right, so yeah, so they told there's a lot of chuvas, I don't know about cancer of the penis, but even prostate surgery, how that works, does that make someone a daca? Most posts can say it doesn't. I don't remember all the issues here, but again, that, um, why it doesn't. They do it actually, there's, there's many chuvas even from the 50s and 60s. In those days, today they use lasers and whatever. It's not an issue, but in those days they would cut the vast deference in any prostate surgery 
in the early days, and you know, till the 80s, I think, or the 70s at least for sure. And by cutting the vast deference, that could that technically could make some put someone in this category, and that would be the question. Of course, you're allowed to do it because it's medically needed. Um, the question is, does it cause someone to be in this category to a duck? Um, so there's a lot of detritus about that, and there are ways that they would do it then where where halachically it was fine. I don't, I don't know, I don't remember enough about the understanding it. But again, today it's, it's not as relevant because they use lasers, and say, which doesn't, they don't have to cut the vast deference in your standard prostate surgery today. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah, you don't have to, yeah, of course not. It means initially, in the initial map. Um, so that's issue number two. Moving on to another issue, which is, seems pretty relevant to this issue. As we know, again, this is a biblical prohibition. There's a biblical prohibition of lo yilbash gever simosisha, only silbash gever. One second, Manny. Uh, let me just finish this one, and then I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, where where cro- the Torah explicitly prohibits cross-dressing. Um, and uh, it's a biblical prohibition to cross-dress. So, so obviously that would be problematic um, if someone has um, gender dysphoria and they want to cross, even without the surgery, cross-dressing in itself is prohibited. But many posts can talk about that actually having, you know, meaning the, the prohibition of cross-dressing, everyone agrees, the ta- that's in the Talmud, is not limited to cross-dressing. It's doing any act that is usually defined as a f- for a male to do a female act or a female to do a male act, which means, for example, in those days, and again, this is might be subjective to society, as we discussed in the past, um, depending on your society, but let's say in those days it talks about, Gemara says a male um, can't, wouldn't, can't, is prohibited biblically from pulling wa- white hairs out of his black uh, beard or hair, or because that's something that, uh, you know, that type of beautification was only done by females, or a male shaving his, uh, his pubic hair or his or his underarms, not for medical purposes, like they do today, just to look good in the gym, um, right? So, right, so that's completely changed. Our society used to be that, you know, when I was growing up in Brooklyn, you know, in the 60s, if you saw a guy without underarm hair, you, you know, you, something was wrong. Today, if you see a guy with hair on, and there's something wrong. So times have changed. Um, you know, and I grew up in the JCC in Brooklyn, you know, with a bunch of old Russian men, nobody wore clothing in the locker room. There's no concept of towels. So you, you know, you, everyone, uh, you know, there was no such thing as a male uh, shaving in any of those areas. Today, I think it's in the country. If you go to a gym and you don't shave, they don't let you in. They will kick you out of the gym, um, especially during Corona times. So, um, so the so so that's it is subjective to society this law. But again, the question would be what the post can I've seen discuss is that obviously this having surgery to look like a female, where you're cutting off your well your ex- your external male um, parts in order to look like a female is the epitome of this of this law, which is you can't do something. To, to, to the whole concern was we don't want men trying to be females, trying to look like females. So, so clearly that would be another uh, um, very clear violation of this Torah law that the post can discuss. Now again, it's sub- subjective to society. So if you have, once we reach a certain threshold, maybe of numbers of men doing the surgery, maybe the law would change. Um, but we, I don't think we're at that threshold currently. Manny, what were you going to say? Uh, 
<laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, so depending on the situation, if it's medically mandated and there's a medical reason it's needed, so of course, uh, birth control. No, I'm saying if it's a form of birth control, you're saying? A form of birth control? Yes, so if so, again, so there are many, that's, there are many, many responses. Moshe Feinstein has at least three or four responses in discussing that. And again, if there's a medical reason, of course, you'll have a real medical, not a meaning a real medical, meaning a medical mandated reason, then it has to be done, of course. But just for the purpose of birth control, yes, it's not, it, halachically, it's problematic. Yeah, I mean, Lefnever, yes, even, well, there's, yes, isn't there, actually, the Vera, the. Technically, the violation is more for the, the person doing the act than for the receiver of the act, because the doctors, the, the, the Torah prohibits, again, the Torah prohibits uh, damaging reproductive organs. Again, if it's applying to females too, but either way, either rabbinically or biblically, it's the act itself that's prohibited. It's not the person who, who's being done to, I'm not sure if they're even in violation. So it's interesting you bring that up. Yes, yeah, so it's more a problem for the doctor doing the surgery than for the patient. That makes sense. <laughs> no. Again, so if it's medically mandated, yeah, it has to be done. Meaning, if there's a, a, a reason it needs to be done, then. But not just because the person, you know, is too lazy to use, to, to, they don't want to have more kids, they're too lazy to use birth control, that wouldn't be a medically mandated reason. That's what we're saying. Um, according to Allah, at least. Maybe it's covered by insurance, that I can't tell you. Um, okay, so, so where were we? So reason number three we said is, is Lo Yilbash, and again, the prohibition of lo yilbash, lo silbash, the Torah says both very clearly. A male can't wear a female garment. A a a female can't wear male garments. It goes both ways. It's not it's clearly not limited to one gender. Um, so again, like we're saying, obviously the surgical removal or the surgical creation with the sole purpose of being perceived as a member of the opposite gender would be the epitome of that violation, according to what the post can say. Okay, <laughs> right. I love you, man. It's tough. It's tough being Jewish. What can I say? Not easy. No one's saying it's an easy religion. Um, so, uh, I'm just going to mention some other reasons, which I believe... Not. Now, first of all, and I'm, I'm surprised Ron didn't bring this up yet. That's why I know he didn't have coffee. Which is... We discussed last week, there's a 41%, I believe what we said was, in the latest studies show, 41% suicide rate for many of these people even after surgery by the way even people who had the surgery um, the reason why that's important is as we know one can make the claim pikuach nefesh right so you know it's having the surgery even though we're saying it's prohibited for these reasons but pikuach nefesh overrides everything so how how do we apply that here and I'm, and I'm struggling with this I don't have a, a good answer yet but no, it's meaning if one claims one comes to his rabbi and says listen I'm living like this for 30 years, I'm a female trapped in a male body, I need to have the surgery. If not, I'm going to kill myself. And then his therapist says, this guy is, is, is going to kill himself, so how do we deal with it? So you, as a rabbi, and, and based on everything we've learned, 
past 20 years, I would say, in this class, we, there's no, it's Pikuach Nefesh. So why should it be different than any other violation of the Torah? It's not one of the big three. So technically speaking, I don't have a good answer for that, assuming, again, that we know this particular case person is at the threat of suicide. The only thing I'm thinking of, and again, this is, I can't identify, I'm not a, an expert by any means, meaning, but it would seem like it's saying the 41% of people of the suicide rate is even after surgery. For whatever reason, it doesn't seem like the surgery is solving the, their, the issues, psych, the psych, you know, the psychology, whatever issues they're having with the gender dysphoria don't seem to necessarily be being solved by the surgery. So that's the only thing I can think of where maybe that, so therefore it's not clear that, that by having the surgery it's going to do anything. Listen, if their therapist says this is going to solve their problem, so of course we, I would guess, venture to say, again, I'm not a POSIC, thank God no one ever asked me this question, I didn't have this case in actuality, but I would venture to say then we have to allow it for Pikuach Nefesh purposes. Um, so that's something which I don't have enough data and, and I'm not uh, fit to rule on, on a case like that. But technically speaking, I don't see how we would not allow it in a case of Pikuach Nefesh, if it's proven Pikuach Nefesh, or even something Pikuach Nefesh. So that's an interesting um, point that I want to bring up um, in the, in, as far as allowing the surgery to be done, Allah speaking. So even though we're mentioning uh, all these issues, that doesn't negate Pikuach Nefesh. None of these issues, Pikuach Nefesh would override any, any of these issues, technically speaking, if it can be proven. Yeah, Shelley. So we don't like to discuss um, religion in this class. Um, a religious identity, but that's a, it's a it's a very it's a valid question in the sense of there is at least in the biggest issue here, which is the first issue of of the prohibition of Cirrus in Leviticus that discusses um, not mutilating reproductive organs. Um, there are it's actually many hold many poskim say that the prohibition is not only for Jews, it's also for Gentiles. Um, meaning this prohibition of gen it's an, even though interestingly enough it doesn't seem like it's one of the seven Noahide laws and there's a lot of discussion about that that's why you can't bring your animal to a non-Jewish vet that, that won't solve the problem and you can just say listen I won't use Dr. Benowitz I'll use a non-Jew the reason why that's a problem is because there are many posts who say prohibition is across the board even for non-Jews of, of, uh, of performing this act so, so interestingly enough it seems, according to many poskim, again, it's, uh, there's always there's two opinions, that it's not only applicable to Jews, it's also applicable to non-Jews. Um, true, what I'm saying is as far as the, right, but as far as the person doing the act, as you just mentioned before, it's the, it's the physician or the vet that's really doing the violation. Torah says, you shall not do this act. If I'm just paying for the act, well, my insurance is paying for it, but I'm not doing the act, so maybe you'd say that makes it, you know, a little easier. But since there are many posts who say it applies across the board to Jews and non-Jews, so it doesn't make a difference. For the, for the person performing the surgery and for the receiver, in bo in both at both points. So it's... No, what I'm saying is again, like I said, if the person is very clear, uh, you know, I assume as a rabbi, if a congregant comes to the rabbi and discusses with him and the rabbi knows the person well and he knows, you know, if the person is being serious or not, 
that would constitute a threat. I mean, again, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent threat. As we know, Pikov Nevesh overrides even for a very low percentage rate. So if there is a real concern that this person will, you know, endanger his life if we don't allow him to have the surgery, again, this is my view. Others clearly disagree. Steinberg, by the way, in his book says, for whatever reason, and I'm trying, I'm struggling with this, that we won't allow it, even if it's clear. And I want to write him and discuss it with him. He's a little busy now with Corona, but I, I would like to write him um, to discuss this with him. I, I'm struggling with it. Why? What would be the reason not to allow it? Even if there's a small chance the person might endanger their life, we override pikuach nefesh. We, we allow it for pikuach nefesh. So assuming that what the studies are showing that these people, many people, and and, and again, I never. Um, had an actual case that someone came to me and discussed it, so I can't speak from experience. But from what I've read, these people, many of them, are depressed and they really have a high suicide rate. So, so again, the question would be: Does the suicide rate change after the surgery? Does the surgery solve, take away that underlying thing that's causing them this, this distress or not? So, which is seems to be the world at large is struggling with this because there are studies who say it doesn't. Well. Yes. So it's not even a, it's not about the threat. It's 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 not about the threat. You know, it's it's more about in actuality. If if this is causing um, someone to 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 put push them into a situation of pikuach nefesh. So I'm not sure it's about the threat. By the way, Moshe Feinstein does have a tshuva, which I looked up. I don't have it in front of me. Maybe I do. Where he discusses actually in that case of gender reassignment, he discusses the case of a vasectomy, a woman who had major psychological issues in general, not, not um, gender dysphoria, where the question was if she gets pregnant. You know, the say her psychiatrist said she could, she might commit suicide, and it's too dangerous for her to get pregnant. Um, from an emotional standpoint, not from a physical standpoint. Obviously, we know from a physical standpoint. Of course, we'll allow. And Ramosha finds initially disallowed it, and then he said after meeting the woman, he he got the question. I don't remember the exact case. I don't have it in front of me, but he got the question posed to him: Can this woman have a? Uh, her tubes taken out and whatever it is, or I don't know. I don't remember the exact details of the of the case. And then he goes on t um, to say he has a postscript on the response, and when it was published, said after meeting the woman, I realized that this is really serious, and and her getting pregnant will be dangerous to her life. And he allows her to have a vasectomy based on that, on the emotional concern of her getting pregnant. Okay, so you see there that clearly, in emo for at least you see in principle from this tshuva Ramosha that he's allowing um, this vi violation of this Torah law of of, uh, of harming, uh, of, of, of uh, excising, let's say, the human reproductive organs because of an emotional concern that it would endanger this woman's life. So you do see that. The question is how that, how that applies here. So I'm saying...
Yeah, but that's different. That's not an emotional danger to the person. Just saying the kid will have to be given up for that. I mean, there are solutions to, you know, the kid could be given up, given to forced care or whatever. There are, it's not a danger to life there. Um, you might not, societally, we not, might be happy about having children, you know, that don't have parents to, to fend for them, but that's different. Instead. Here we're talking about an emotionally, we're saying this woman can have a nervous breakdown or commit suicide if she gets pregnant. I didn't say that. So that's a. It's some people it might help. <laughs> you, you know, it could help for some. I mean, on the contrary, you know, people feel they people don't have self-esteem. They become a parent, and uh, I mean, listen, I'm not condoning. I'm not saying it's a good. Yeah. Yes. So listen, I agree. It's it's problematic, but I'm just I'm showing you that the principle exists within halacha, within halacha in contemporary halacha of allowing um, to violate the isur sirus because of the emotional state of the person. So the question is, how does it apply here? For some reason, the poskim that I've seen don't address it in a real way, and they prohibit it, but they don't explain. So I need to flesh it out a little more to understand why not. Koch Nefesh should play a very important role here, obviously, just like it does in all areas of, of, of these questions. Um, yes, in, in his book, I'm just going to make sure I'm quoting him correctly, he says very clearly, um, mm, he says, Din Zenachon, I'm reading straight from his book here, he says, Din Zenachon, this um, halacha, that it's prohibited to have the surgery to change of gender reassignment, Gam humu ma'yem lisabed, he says, even if he's threatening to commit suicide, in lo yaf chasmine benutuach, tipulum ha-hormolium, if they don't um, do the surgery and give him these hormones, the uh, apis gender hormones, and he quotes, Shira Tolerofim, he quotes a, uh, oh, sorry, uh, yeah, Going to Sefer, which I have, I actually didn't, I didn't have a chance to look it up, so I have to see how that's addressed. But it's a, it's a, it's it's not a simple question. Yeah. Well, we Um, I don't know. I can't. I literally, no clue. I, I don't know anything about that. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. By the way, I just some Moran just answered the question. I mean, I, it's a joke, but it's serious. Um, is that you know sometimes that could be a uh, death sentence in prison if you can give the guy. <laughs> oh really? Okay. Really? <laughs> That's sad, right? Work. Side work. I got you. I got you. Okay? Interesting. Listen, Parnassa is, is important, as we know. Parnassa overrides everything. So, um, but that being said, I, I don't know anything about the Israeli prison system, thank God. Um, or the, not much about the American prison system.
Um, but I did, yeah. Um, so, but interestingly enough, I'll just say um, that. So, this is another issue, which also I hope we have time to finish everything today. But what I found is, um, and I've, I've found this before, is uh, just to show you how far this goes back. And again, I don't know if this was theoretical or or actually happened. It's not clear. But Ibn Ezra, who lived in the 11th century, you can look up exactly when he lived. There's a commentary in the Torah. Um, quotes Rabbeinu Hanano, and I actually found Rabbeinu Hanano, the original, it's also a Rishon, early authority, again, we're talking 10th, 11th century, on the verse in the Torah which, say, which discusses um, the prohibition of committing homosexuality for males, um, right, again, the, as we know, the Torah doesn't prohibit homosexuality, uh, there's no, there's no uh, noun, almost the concept of a homosexual, meaning Homosexuality, there's no, there's no Hebrew word for the now. I mean, maybe now there is. But in the Torah, the Torah only talks about the act itself, um, which right, it's called Mishkav Zachar. And, and again, the verse, there's a famous verse in Leviticus 18, 22. It says, A male cannot um, lie with another male, lying as with a woman. Okay? So the question is exactly what that means. Obviously, the assumption is it's talking about the prohibition of the act of homosexuality. Ron will tell you there's many other interpretations to that verse, so we're not going to get into the other interpretations now. But on the in the on the traditional left, ah, so I'm going to explain. That's exactly where I'm going. So give me a chance. So, so the Ibn Ezra says, quotes this Rebbe Nechanel, says an unbelievable thing, which I, again, from 11th century, which I don't think they had the ability to change a person's gender in the 11th century, but he says like this, he quotes, so on this verse, he's bothered by the language, um, that he says it's the, the, the prohibition is for both the, both uh, people involved. He says, "Vayom Rabbi Nachmanano, Zal." He says, "Rabbi Nachmanano explained ki yesh mishi echadish gufa begufa." He says, "What's it talking about? That there are some who can um, create in their body kitsuras basa isha, meaning you have a male who can create somehow a feminine, um, rep- uh, feminine genitalia." Vizelo yotachem betolda. He says doesn't um, seem pre- they're not born with that it's created at some later, later stage um, and he says um, that's what the verse could be referring to that's how he understands the verse the meaning he's saying is someone you have a male who somehow have, creates himself a female genitalia which would be in our today's terms it would be gender reassignment surgery and now he's having relations sexual relations with another male so that's a violation of this verse that's what he's saying that's what it's referring to one second let me just finish the point so here you have a Rishon meaning an early authority basically discussing that if somehow a male gets, a, gets um, um, female genitalia another male having relations with that it would, still, would be a violation of this act of homosexuality so first of all you see two things one is just, first of all, it's just fascinating to see. Again, I don't know if it's theoretical. I don't know how this, if they had the ability in those days. Um, number two is, you see, even after the surgery, today, it would still be considered an act of homosexuality, which the Post can point out. They use this as a source to explain that even if someone does have the surgery, they still have a problem, because now if they're having um, a relations with another male, let's say a male who becomes female, it would still be a violation of, of homosexual relationship. relations. Yes, Ron, go ahead. 
It's not logic. He's, he's just interpreting the verse. It's not logic. No, he's, I don't think he's saying it's only that case. I don't think he's limiting it to that case. He's saying, he's saying, even in that case, that would also be considered. Um, that's the way I understand. It. I'll send you a copy of it so you could see it yourself. And you, you haven't seen it when you see it. Okay, no comment. Yeah. So, so you're right. So that's this. This is this is a family class. We don't want to get too graphic here. Since this is a family-oriented class, we're not going to get so graphic here. But there are obviously um, many. I hope you're not bringing anything to demonstrate this. What do you? Um, we we. Are, okay, but it, maybe so. We're not going there. We're not discussing homosexuality today. All we're saying is you find here. An early authority who unders who's saying explicitly that if a male has somehow um, grows female genitalia, genitalia, it's still going to be a prohibition of this act of homosexuality. Meaning he's still a male, which is a very important statement, which leads to our whole next question of how post-surgery, how do we, what's the gender identity of this person? Okay, so if you have a formerly male who now has female external female genitalia. Do we view this person as a gender identity, halakhically speaking, male or female? Which is obviously a very important question, which has many hundreds of consequences, as we'll discuss. So, so that, so. Homosexuality, you told me. As far as, I don't know, that's not, we're not discussing that. It's a good question. That's something. Uh, no, no, I'm not, that's not my whole point. My whole point is to bring it in the context of this question here. Are they, how, what's their gender identity? And I'm showing you that this was discussed in the 11th century, that's all I'm saying. Yes, agreed. Who's we? Who's you? Talking to me or to Ron? Manny, are you talking to me or to Ron? Okay, but I'm not, we're not going. Is that? I don't want to get into. We're not discussing homosexuality today. That's not our topic. Yeah. Okay. So again, so it could be Ron. I'm not. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're wrong. It's not. It's not that's not our topic today. So, but I'm pointing out just a very important thing. Again, this is brought. This is just a fascinating source. To first of all, the fact that they addressed this in the 11th century to me is fascinating. I don't know what in the secular um, literature what's the earliest addressing of this issue of someone who has a male who has female genitalia. What? No, I'm just saying it's fascinating to see 11th. What's archaic? 
it's, it's postmodern. it's amazing. They were way ahead of their time. In 11th century, halachic sources were already addressing this issue that didn't come up till 1949. It's amazing. It's not archaic. They're outdated in what? He's not, he's, he's, he, he's not, all he's saying is talking about this possibility. The question is, is that, is there a Torah violation in or not? So he's applying the Torah violation. I don't know what's archaic about it. So you want to say the Torah is archaic, fine, but this is, if anything, it's amazing to me that I don't know if you'll find in secular literature discussing this topic in the 11th century. It's an amazing thing to me. Show how ahead of the times they were. Yeah. Today, there's many, I just want to say, many, there's a lot more than two choices today. This is where you're living in archaic times. <laughs> Not only two choices. Yeah. 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 No, I'm saying is, I understand, and again, I'm going to send the text to both of you afterwards, but I understand that, that this, this Rabbeinu Hananel is saying this is also included in the prohibition. He's saying, why did the Torah use such language to add this to the prohibition? It's not only limited to a standard act of homosexuality between two males, it also includes a, um, a case like this. That's the way I understand it, but... You're, you're, I'll, I'll tend you the text and then it's up for a decision you could, you don't have to read it the way I'm reading it but, um, but in any case the, the, the point being here is now, so the discussion this is just important to understand again in this context this Rabbeinu Hanano besides the amazing aspect that in the 11th century they're writing about this clearly is of the opinion that a male with female genitalia um quote-unquote male that has somehow got female genitalia will still be a violation of the of this prohibition of a homosexual act so this is uh, just an interesting uh, and as far as a gender identity yes